everyone. Ooh. Hi, everyone. There we go. Great. To, listen, go ahead. Turn to the person beside you. Go, man, you are the best looking person I have seen today. That's great. If you're online, you might want to just turn with somebody in the room or hold up a mirror and just tell yourself that. It's important to do that. If you're joining us in the chapel, we want to welcome you to Portico. It is great to have you here in the venues as well. If you're visiting today, we're One Church, One Message, Many Expressions. We have our Mississauga campus, our Milton campus. We have an Espanol campus. It's just, we love church. We love coming together. And uh, there is no greater place to be than hanging out with all you guys today, right? All right, this side agrees with that. This side's a little sleepy. Yeah, we'll go. We're good. All right, take your Bibles out. We're going to get started this morning. Ushers, can you help us? Uh, raise your hand real high if you need to borrow a Bible. If you're in one of our venues, if you're online, we'd encourage you to download our app. You can also do that in the rooms. If you download the app, you can not only follow the Scripture, you can actually take notes electronically, and it's a way for us to stay in touch with you, and we'd encourage you to uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Ushers, want to thank you for handing them out. If you have your Bibles today, we want to turn over to Judges chapter 16. We're in a series that's called Heroes and Villains. Now, how many of you think you're a hero? All right, we have three heroes. The rest of you are villains. That's awesome. There are only two choices in the title. How many of you think you're a hero? Man, I'm just trying to build your self-esteem, and you're not working with me today. Heroes and villains, they're interesting to learn from, and we're looking at different characters of the Bible, and so today we're going to dive into another one. This is our second day, uh, second week that we're looking at the series, and you're going to enjoy it if you're joining us. Be sure to join us through the series. Each one of these is a a great study to dive into. Uh, Here's what we want to look at today. We're going to start to look at some of the signs of immaturity. Now, here's what I know to be true. When we're young, we cannot wait to get old or older. Let's qualify that, right? When we're young, we can't wait that our parents don't need to help us walk anymore. We want to walk on our own. And as we get a little bit older, we can't wait for that stage when we get to ride a tricycle, and then eventually we move up to a bicycle, but we have training wheels. So we want to get a little bit older and a little more mature so we can take the training wheels. How many of you remember that? You're looking at me like a bicycle? What is that thing? What do you speak of? So we take the training wheels off, and then when we're just a little bit older, because we can't wait for this, we get to get our driver's license. That's interactive church. This is how we work here. We get our driver's license, and we're so thrilled. We get to go driving. We can't wait until we don't have to have mom and dad in the car. We don't have to do that learner stuff anymore, and we treat mom and dad's car like it's just a NASCAR. It's, you know, we drive it hard. We give it back. We get our cars. Man, those things are babies. Don't drive those hard. But our parents' car, well, that's a whole different game, isn't it? So we just can't wait to get older, and then we get older, and we want to be young again. Some of you, you're old enough now that you wish you had a driver's license, right? And there's a stage in our life when we're older when we wish we could actually still get on a bicycle and balance the bike. How many of you tried riding a bike lately? And then we move backwards to the place where we go, just put training wheels on, I'd be okay, put training wheels. We're even ready to settle for a tricycle if that's what it takes. There's this complex thing about aging, and it's filled with marvel and mystery and misery and absolute wonder. But here's a misnomer when it comes to aging. We assume with aging that maturity is going to be coupled with it and it's going to be complete, but it's not. Aging is a natural process, part of life, part of the cycle of life, but maturity is not necessarily true. We may mature physically, but we don't always mature spiritually, emotionally, 
relationally. So we're going to have a look at what this whole maturity issue looks like. Now, being the kind of leader that I am, and I just love you guys so much, I want to make sure I give you the best information I could find on this. So I got thinking about this whole aspect of immaturity. Why are we talking about it? Because this immaturity reaches deep into our lives. And so I got intrigued about immaturity. So I did a quick search. I went to the most prolific trusted, reliable source called Google, and I thought, I'm going to see what comes up when I just sort of bubble out this statement. So here was the search parameter. I typed, you can try this, but not right now. I know we have Wi-Fi. Put your phone down. I know you have Wi-Fi, but don't Google until after we're done church, okay? Here's the search parameter I put in, signs of immaturity. I was shocked what came back. Actually, I was, I was really struck. Are you guys Googling? I'm watching. She's not watching me right now. I hope you're taking notes and sending an email. Anyhow, that's immature right now. Let's not do this. So I I put in, you know, immaturity. And you wouldn't believe what came back. The top hit was men who are immature. (laughs) Like all of the lists, it's about men. I'm going, come on, ladies, what's with that? So I started reading down this Google list, and I thought, surely this is a faulty premise upon which to build a life. So then I started looking a little more carefully, and I realized, ooh, there's a lot of stuff in here. Then there's a little article. You can go find this one later, but it's called Growing Pain, Sign That the Men in Your Life May Be a Man-Child. So eyes on me, all right? No elbowing, none of this in the room, not online. I don't want any fighting going on. You people in the chapel, behave yourself, all right? Here we go. So I thought, well, i got to share this with you because I'm a man, and they're, they're bringing it. So I wanted to know, am I emotionally immature? No answers? Thank you. That's a good answer. Here are the signs. You might want to write this down and do a little test. You know that the men in your life are immature if they demonstrate inappropriate behavior. They are rude and selfish. Well, that is a description of men in general, so I'm not sure that that's a sign. Here's a second indicator that video games are more important than relationships. Assassin's Creed, the latest version, is more important than spending time with family. Well, that could be an indicator. A third indicator that came across said that your feelings don't matter. He doesn't want to hear about your day. He doesn't want to see your tears. Real men don't cry. So that's a sign that perhaps of immaturity. Another one is this. It's bros before, well, you know the rest. Card games, golf, boys night out are more important than hanging out with the important lady in your life. Another one is this, that he's emotionally unavailable. They don't want a relationship. They want a party. Is there anything wrong with that, guys? Don't answer. If you're married, don't answer. No feedback. He's obsessed with toys, games, and cars, and TVs, and boats. They want the latest, and the best, and the greatest. I'm so glad there was no motorcycles in that list. They're never wrong. They think they're always right. They hold grudges. They're not interested in your friends, and they're into sports 24-7. They watch rebroadcasts. They already know who won. What's that all about? They'll watch it again like they've never seen the game before. Those are indicators that were in that little bit of a list. So why am I talking about that? Because immaturity is not a given. Like, maturity is not a given when it comes to aging. We know that immaturity can actually hold us back from achieving the greatest potential that we have for our lives. So the message today is going to center around one of the most, what I would call, fascinating heroes of Scripture. His name, by the way, it shows up in the register of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, here's what I noticed, though. Unlike Moses, David, Ruth, uh, Elijah, or even Mary... His name doesn't frequent the conversations that we have of the heroes of the faith. We don't often reference them. 
In fact, if it wasn't for his rather spectacular manner in which he died, I'm not sure that we would ever mention the name Samson. I'm not sure we would. Because it's his death that brought the greatest awareness to his life. His name is Samson. He was the birth of promise. His was the birth of promise. His was the life of opportunity. His was the death of disappointment. And he flamed out. He flamed out before his life really ever achieved its true potential. Now, he's a hero. He made it into the register of the faithful. But I want you to think about this. We know him not for his greatest feats of strength of being a judge and a rescuer and a deliverer for Israel. We know him because of his moments of greatest weakness. We see him in those moments. His immaturity was to be his ultimate downfall. So a little bit of background. We're going to go to Judges 16 here in just a moment. A little bit of background. It's 1070 B.C., and there's a couple who are childless. The wife was sterile, and the couple is childless. And an angel of the Lord appears to them and says, you're going to have a child. 1070 B.C., what's the big deal? 1070 B.C. is when Israel has moved into the promised land, promised by God, yet the nations of the land have not been displaced, and so there's this constant tension, there's constant struggle. And in Israel's unfaithfulness, God will allow these nations to chastise them, and then God would raise up a judge. A judge is merely a deliverer, a rescuer. So he raises up these rescuers, these deliverers, and Judges chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Israel was being tried or challenged by the Philistines for 40 years, 40 years under their hardship and their ruthless leadership. So God says, I'm going to raise up a deliverer, I'm going to raise up a judge, and he goes to this couple just way off in the pages of history, and he says to this couple that most people would overlook, he goes, you're going to have a child. Angel of the Lord says to him, you're going to have a child. And he knew she was sterile. But it was a child of promise. And said, this child you are going to raise in a unique way. This child's going to have, you're going to raise him as a Nazarite, a Nazarene vow. What does that mean? That vow means set apart to God. He's not going to touch alcohol. He's not going to touch dead corpses. He's not going to cut his hair. So along with the other observances of faith, these three are part of that Nazarite vow. And he's a special child. I'm going to use him for powerful purposes. So I want you to raise this Nazarite child. So mom and dad go, okay, we're in. In fact, the dad says to the angel, Lord, would you teach us how to raise our child so we do this right? So young Samson grows up in 1070 B.C., knowing that his life is rather unique, senses the Spirit of the Lord upon him, and yet he falls far short of what I see, the promise that God had for him. Now, we don't have time. Judges 13 to 16, those are your references if you want to read it later. But when you look at Samson's life, when he finally grows to the age where he can do something for Israel, look what he does. Now, I'm going to give a snapshot. We'll read a verse. When it's an opportunity for him and he's grown up and hormones are stirring, he goes, I want to have a girlfriend, I want to have a wife. He doesn't go to the Israelites that God says, select from your own community, stay within your own community. He goes to the Philistines down to the little village of Timnah, and he finds a woman there, and he goes, no, I want to marry her. And mom and dad say, can't you find somebody here? And he goes, no, I want to marry her. So he disregards his own vow, disregards his own commitment, and he chooses outside of his own relationships. So that begins the the story, and he's already violating his promise that he has. Then you look at his life, and there was a moment in his life, rather spectacular, attacked by a lion. He kills the lion, and we thought, whoa, great feat of strength. But later, he'll go back to this carcass, a corpse, in which there is honey, and bees, and he will touch a corpse, violating again his vow. And so we overlook that, but it's a sign of immaturity. Then you get to the story, and this is perhaps the most significant story we're going to center on today. It's Delilah. It's this woman. Most of us would know the name, and many of us that maybe are new to the Bible. Um, She is part of the Philistines. She would become his downfall. His, His passion for women completely overrule his own mind and his impulses. 
And so he'd respond to her. And it's in this moment that she would tear him down and bring him down. And she would be the architect of his ultimate downfall. So in Judges chapter 16, verse 4, we're going to read. And I want you to follow along, and then I'm going to pull some principles today. So here's what we read. It says, sometime later now, Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each of us of the leaders will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Do you know how much 1,100 shekels of silver was worth? I don't either. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. So Samson, and I'm going to summarize real quickly, Samson tells her, like a cat and a mouse game, he tells her three times, but he misleads her, doesn't tell her the truth, and she gets really, really frustrated because each time he'd tell her it wasn't the truth, she'd say, the, you know, the Philistines are here, he'd get up and break himself free of the constraints. So eventually she tires of this. Drop down to verse 15. So Delilah said to Samson, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time that you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. So with such nagging, she she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death. Isn't that a great verse? So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And when Delilah saw that that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back one more time. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands, and after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so she began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Watch. She called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before, and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding the grain in the prison, a truly dismal, dismal ending to what could have been an incredibly spectacular life. And all because, two words, write them down in your notes, two words, unrestrained immaturity. All because of unrestrained immaturity. Samson was set up to succeed. If he would have recognized the indicators, responded accordingly, he would have realized the true potential of his life. I mean, God had set it all out before him. I mean, not only was his the birth of promise, not only was the Spirit of the Lord with him, God had set him on a path that was absolutely unstoppable, but it's this issue of unrestrained immaturity that constantly undermines. So the question I want to ask all of us today is this. How are you doing? How am I doing? Are there things in our life, are there choices and decisions, and are they improving or impeding our potential? And maybe the fundamental question is this, is my immaturity the limiting factor to the true potential in my life? Now that's a pretty heavy question, because it takes some honest candor and wrestle to think that one through. Is there immaturity embedded inside of my life that I just refuse to recognize it? So I use bravado and ego and pride and energy to overcome it. But are, are there moments of immaturity that are really impeding the true potential of my life? See, every one of us is set up to succeed. We are. God has loved us. He's accepted us. He's forgiven us. The Bible says that God will gift us with incredible gifts when we come to him in faith. We can live our life out. We can serve his purposes and serve the purpose for which we were created. We're not here by chance. We are here by destiny. And God says, your destiny is powerful in my hands. 
but I wonder how many times our destiny, my destiny, has been undermined because of unrestrained immaturity. So the only way to really get to the bottom of this is if we look into Samson's life. And let's see if we can find what the indicators are, and then maybe at the end of this message we can come back and go, so now I have a better idea of how to handle my life. Get your notes out. Let's take a couple of thoughts together and write, one, write this one down. Unrestrained immaturity, here's two words, affects others. Unrestrained immaturity affects others. You don't have to be a sociologist. You don't have to be a census analyst. You don't have to be a psychotherapist to answer this one. But we know that negatively, negatively we affect others by our immaturity. Now, we believe, here's what, it's interesting, we can lie to ourselves and convince ourselves, we believe that we're an island to ourselves when we want to be, that my choices and my decisions and my actions aren't going to affect anybody else, and as long as I keep this all contained into my little world, that it's not going to spill over and affect anybody else's life, but let me show you how it did. For Samson, he refused to get a handle on his immaturity. He was distracted by a number of different things. There was women, his pride, his vengeance. So when the Philistines would do something to upset him, he would respond accordingly. And you can read it in the earlier three chapters, 13, 14, and 15. But never do you really see him step up to the plate to be the rescuer, the, the deliverer that God had raised him up to be over the nation of Israel. It's always when it irritated him. And so when he responds, there's an impact. And immediately you see the impact of it in his life and the life of others. Look in your notes, Judges chapter 16, verse 21. When the Philistines finally seized Samson, they gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. And you go, well, that's fair. That's payback. The guys burned down their, their crops. He's harassed their people. He's killed people. So if you're looking at sort of the balances, the scales of equilibrium, you go, well, that, that would seem fair. Here's what we miss. It wasn't just Samson that was shackled and was grinding grain at the gristmill. He's lost his sight, but more importantly, he's lost his spiritual sight. He thought he physically was constrained, but he actually disappointed and let down all of Israel. Now, grinding grain at a gristmill, in our culture, we've, we kind of lose this here. But in this era at this time, this was a job that was reserved primarily for women and usually slave women. Not anybody in the upper echelons, and certainly not for a man. So what they did to humiliate Samson is they shackled him so that he would grind out the grain. So every day he'd be grinding out and he'd be reminded of the deep humiliation he'd experienced because of his immaturity and his failure. And I look at this and I go, wow, the power that our unrestrained immaturity has over our lives, that we think we're not affecting other people. Samson, his choices affected his mom and dad. It affected his little network of his community, affected his own town, affected the greater nation of Israel. Because God said, Samson, I'm going to use you to do something powerful. Remember, God has set every one of us up to succeed. And it's this unrestrained immaturity that always gets in the way, and it'll trip us up if we're not careful with this. So as he's grinding out at the gristmill, something is very, very pertinent to him, is I have not lived to the potential of my life. And I know, I know that my choices have affected others. And that's the struggle that he would have to face. You look into our world and you go, Doug, does that relate to us? Yeah, I think it does. I think our unrestrained immaturity often has a deeper impact than we're willing to admit. The negative impact on our friendship, our marriages, our business, our faith, and our families. See, we are enmeshed in complex networks of relationships. We are all intertwined. We are all connected together. And we go, well, my choices shouldn't really affect. Yeah, they do. My choice as a dad affects my wife and affects my children. 
My choice as a son affects my parents, it affects my siblings, and it affects our circle of our greater family. There's impact, there's spillover. You can't get away from it, and that's exactly what happened for Samson. Let me give you some, maybe some very pragmatic ways this happens, just so we can unpack this a little carefully. Immaturity. Talk about unrestrained immaturity. If we're immature with how we handle our finances, it's never a personal, individual experience. If I, as a dad or as a parent, said, you know, I'm just going to spend the money the way I want to spend my money. I don't need to pay the mortgage. I don't need to pay for the grocery bill. I don't need to pay for that. I'm no longer just affecting me. I'm affecting my entire household. Does that make sense? So if, if my unrestrained immaturity doesn't allow me to sit down and go, I need to plan carefully. I need to set up a budget. I need to be responsible with how I pay my bills. I need to work responsibly. If I don't do that, that's immaturity, and that's affecting other people. Same is true when it comes to our health. If we don't plan properly... So, you know, one of the things you look at, you go, health? Seriously? Yeah. Now, I think, how many of you like food? You're in the room. I know you like food today. We all love food. How many of you, here's a better question, how many of you like to exercise? And no hands go up in the room. Yeah. If we let ourselves go, can you imagine if I went to the Mandarin restaurant every day, because it's a wonderful sea of food down there. If I just went to the Mandarin every day and I go, no, drive me, I'm not walking, I'm not biking, I'm not doing anything, and I let my health go, and eventually my health begins to deteriorate, what is that? That's immaturity on my part. Now, there are sicknesses and illnesses that are certainly outside of our control, and so I don't mean to diminish that at all. Don't misunderstand me. But there are a lot of people within our own culture and society today that we know as a general rule, we hear from our own health professionals, that our society is gaining and gaining more and more weight. We're obese and we're not active anymore. We like our video games and our cell phones and our iPads and everything else rather than getting out and playing sports and being active. So if I were to do that, and I lost all control over my life, and then suddenly I'm in the hospital, who's paying that bill? You are. You are. You pay it through your taxes. So my immaturity in my own world when it comes to my health, I actually, it spills over. And we see this all the time. And if I did that, and if I just let myself go, you would send me emails. You would. You would let me know how disappointed you are with me because of allowing myself to get there. And I just want to show you the impact that we have. Same is true when it comes to our emotions that the immaturity with our emotions will undermine our relationships. It cripples our ability to connect in meaningful ways. And what about the immaturity that we have with our character, our choices, our morality? In your notes, 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. Paul said, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Restated in a new way, simply stated, could say this. Immaturity affects good relationships. So immaturity is dangerous in our lives. And unrestrained immaturity is something that's an indicator. We have to understand it affects, it negatively affects others. Number two in your notes, write this down. Unrestrained immaturity flirts with danger. This is something we see over and over and over in Samson's life. Is his immaturity, he knew what was right, he knew what was wrong, but in his immaturity, he would just kind of, Press the line just a little bit, right? It's like when we're speeding down the highway. How many of you know how fast you can go before you get pulled over? Everybody has a number in their head. You do. We all do this. We all go, if it's two kilometers under, if I go 18 kilometers over, I'm free. No ticket. We all have a number. It, what is that? That's that unrestrained. We don't like to call it that, but it's unrestrained immaturity. We're, we're flirting with danger. Look at Samson. What does he do? This guy was 0 for 2 when it came to women, Right? 
And you look at his life, so you get into his world, and you start to see how he chooses a wife. He goes, no, I'm not going to choose a wife from Israel. I'm going to go over to the Philistines. Then you look at his spiritual vitality. You look at his personal pride. Go back into the women for a moment. So when he goes down to Timnah, and he chooses a wife, and his parents said, please don't do that. Don't do that. You have no idea how this is going to ruin your life. And he goes, no, I want her. And he goes down and he marries her. He goes through the courtship and the engagement and everything. Well, that thing ended up in a mess. And when he comes home, he's mad. He comes home mad. What does the father of the bride do? The father of the bride gives the bride to his best man. Well, that'll just mess your head up, wouldn't it? So then what does he do? He goes down to uh, Gaza. He goes down there, spends a night at a brothel. That's not the way to recover. And when that doesn't work out, oh for 2, he goes to Delilah. He should have looked on his life and went, look, I struck out twice. But Delilah becomes number three, and he strikes out with Delilah. So I want you to look in your notes, Judges chapter 16, verse 15, how he flirts with danger. So Delilah said to Samson, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. So we know she's trying to figure this out. There's some money on the line. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day after day after day after day until he was sick to death of it. Ladies, there's a verse for you. If you want to get your way, don't memorize it, just live it. (laughs) Samson, what's the secret of your strength? Two things we know he couldn't handle. Tears, the tears of his first wife, and the nagging of his lover. And so after three times of deceptively misleading her with information, he finally breaks down and he tells her he's been flirting with danger and he steps from the edge into the midst of the fire. Verse 17, you can write it in your notes. Finally, he told her everything. No razor has been used on my head. The perfect storm was culminating and he discloses the secret of his strength. He violates his Nazarite vow. She cuts, has the hair cut from his head and he's now weakened, imprisoned, blind, and his potential is gone. And it's all because he flirted with danger. So when you think about this, we all have these moments, don't we? So how many of you have ever flirted with danger? Show of hands. Oh, you perfect people. (laughs) How many of you were ever a teenager? I'm looking for moral support in the room. Thank you for two of you. All right. I'm going to tell you a story in my own life, but before I'm done, don't judge me. Here's what I need from you. We love you, Doug. I heard you guys over here. We love you, Doug. Okay, because I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to mess you up, and you're going to go, he's never going to be my pastor again. Jeff, come on up here next week. So I've got to qualify this. I was a teenager. I had my own car, living at home, and I would go to school, come back. Teenager, did I say that? I came home. I cannot remember what I did to my mother in the morning. I know that when I left, things were not right, and I was going to face the showdown. It was going to be a showdown at the OK Corral when I got home that day. Parked the car in the driveway, came into the house, living in Kelowna, went up the flight of stairs. Mom was standing in the kitchen. I think she had all morning to plan this out, and she was waiting for me. So I walk in the kitchen. Now, I'm taller than my mother. I'm stronger than my mother. But my mother was determined we were going to reconcile my disobedience that morning. Now, selective amnesia. You know, teenagers don't have any memory. I don't know what it was, but I know that I was in for trouble, and you just accept the fact. Well, we're in the kitchen, and we're having this little bit of a sharp disagreement, and so my mom realizes, you're a teenager. You don't even understand what you did wrong. Now, are you with me? Okay, thank you. So, you don't even understand what you did wrong. I was irritating her to the point where she goes, you need to be disciplined. Now, this is the era where there was an instrument of education on top of the fridge. 
that could be applied to the seed of understanding. You people tracking with me? Nobody's going to jail on this thing, but there was a moment here. I watched my mother reach atop the fridge to grab this instrument, you know, of wisdom. She's going to apply it to my seed of understanding. I'm bigger than her. I'm staring her down. She moves her hand back, you know, lovingly, and I reach out and I grab her hand, her wrist, like that, and I go, just try it. This is a good moment to go, we love you, Doug. I don't think she did. The fact I'm on this stage is only a demonstration of God's grace. I said, just try it. Well, the look in her eyes, oh, if she could have killed me then, it would have been done. So we're in this moment. Well, she was fast. I mean, my mom was not to be messed with. And so, of course, she's not thinking about all that's going on. And she quickly retorted. She just quipped at me. She goes, just wait till your father gets home. (laughs) Yeah, we've been there, haven't we? So being a teenager and absolutely nothing going on but testosterone and energy at this moment in my mind, I go, that's just like you. Wait until dad comes home to deal with it. I'm going... I just went from flirting with danger, I was like full bore in danger. And I knew this whole thing, we were in a really difficult time. I learned two valuable lessons that day. You might want to write these down. One of the lessons I learned is never flirt with danger with your mother. The second lesson I learned is that my father is not really my father. He is the husband of his wife. Never mess with another man's wife. Even if she happens to be your birth mother, they chose to love each other. I was a byproduct of a night that was just kind of romantic. So he was always going to choose her over choosing me. Why did I tell that? How many of you were ever immature? Let me see your hands now. Thank you, Jesus. We're all on the same board together. I learned what it was to flirt with immaturity. Where did that come from? That was unrestrained immaturity. We do it. We do it. We do it with moral choices. We do it in our marriages. We do it in our finances. We do it with our children. We do it in our business ethics. It's all that expression that takes place. And every time we do that, it just takes a toll on the potential of our lives. That's why Paul would write to the believers, and it's in your notes, in 2 Timothy, particularly to his leadership team. He goes, flee the evil desires of youth, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You are created for potential and greatness. Don't let anything take you off that track. Flirting with danger is one of the ways you will. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 in your notes. Reject every kind of evil, it says. All right, number three. Let's go back to Samson. Unrestrained immaturity diminishes capacity. This is perhaps the saddest part of the entire story. That if I look at Samson's death, the fact that we read him in the register of the faithful, the only reason we read of him is because he remained faithful, but he had never achieved his full potential. His decisions, his choices were always based on immature responses. So you get into this part here and you look at diminishes capacity and you go, well, where, where does that come out of here? Well, let's go back to what's happening. He's grinding grain at a gristmill. He's been blinded. He's shackled. And so the Philistines... The big celebration that they have, celebrating their god Dagon, they get together, they're going to have a feast and everything, and they go, hey, you know what? Our deity, 
defeated Israel's deity. Our God is greater than their God. In fact, the way that we can do this, so visibly we can demonstrate, bring Samson into our celebration. So they bring Samson in. They get a servant to lead Samson into the middle. They're in the temples. We visited over there. And they're amazing architecture. These huge columns that rise up. And Samson's brought in, and the Philistines are chanting and celebrating. They're going, our God defeated your God. And the demonstration of his physical condition, the humiliation of his life, they're going, if that's the best your God can do, this is why we celebrate our God. So here's Samson, and Samson whispers to his servant, he goes, could you take me to the columns? Take me to the columns. He's no risk. He's just weakened now, and he's a miserable-looking individual, and the servant takes him up to the two columns. It's not here in the Bible, but I have to think, because I've lived this. I think you've lived this. I have to believe that Samson, in that moment, as he's listening to the crowd, he's listening to the chanting and the teasing and the jeering, I have to believe there was a moment where Samson just stopped and his mind begins to replay images of his mother holding him in her arms. You are a child of promise. You are a child of potential. You are a child that God has set apart. And I believe there another image would have come in would be an image of his dad heading off to the tabernacle to worship. Samson, just love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Keep your feet on a direct path. God will orchestrate. He'll direct your steps. Just love him and serve him. Another image flashes in his mind of the adolescent friends that he hung out with. These that are being impoverished, enslaved, challenged, and murdered by the Philistines. And his friends are going, who will deliver us? And in his mind, in his spirit, he has felt the presence of the Spirit of the Lord. He has torn the lion apart with his bare hands, knowing this is not my strength. This is God's strength. And now in a shackled, weakened condition in a temple, listening to people cheer at his demise, we replay our memories, and they haunt us. Memories of failed potential and lost opportunity. And there's one more opportunity, and it comes with a prayer. In fact, I put the prayer in your notes so you could see it. It's a prayer that Samson would whisper to God as he places his hands on these pillars. Verse uh, 30 of chapter 16. Samson says, Lord, let me, let me die with the Philistines. Let me die with the Philistines. Somehow, and I don't know how this happens, somehow the period of time between when they cut Samson's hair to their celebration to their deity, nobody noticed that his hair was regaining its length and the potential for the return of the presence of the Spirit of the Lord was there. So we tend to move into our points of failure praying, God, come and rescue me again. Here's what I want you to notice, that in that moment, he offers his prayer up to God, and he goes, God, just let me die with the Philistines. He has no idea how many are in the room. He doesn't know. And he begins to push out through that prayer, and you read the story, and those columns come down, and the way it's built, the entire thing comes down, and the epitaph of his life is a powerful epitaph. It says that he killed more Philistines in that moment than he killed in the entire rest of his life. And we go, way to go, Samson, that's amazing. And I go, no. No, it's not. Because you flamed out way too early. 
Your unrestrained immaturity was only redeemed with a simple prayer. And never, I never want any of us to get to this point where the prayer of our life is, God, I am done. So take me out and clean up this mess. I never want that to be the epitaph for anybody's life in this room. You were created for God's purposes. You were given the gift of salvation so that your life could achieve incredible things. And we often reduce ourselves to a place where we go, no, no, not me. I can't do that. No, you don't have to be a Samson. You don't have to be a Moses. You can be a godly mom. You can be a godly dad. You can be a godly child. You can be a godly business owner. We are all created and gifted with opportunity that's amazing in our life. If we turn our lives over and we go, I will not allow unrestrained immaturity to limit my capacity, to diminish my capacity. But we see it all around us, don't we? We look through history. We look at great leaders. You can go through church history. Think about the church. Some of the most celebrated people that we celebrate in our Christian faith. Moses. Incredible leader. But it was his unrestrained immaturity that restricted his access to the promised land. God says, Moses, speak to the rock and water's going to flow out. Moses is so fed up with people, he takes his staff and he smacks the rock. And God goes, oops. The miracle is obedience. That's the miracle. And God says to Moses, man, I love you. And we're going to get my people to where they're supposed to go. And I'm going to let you see the land. But you remember that moment? That's it. And you go, just Moses? No, David. David's king over Israel. God says, man, I love your heart for me. In fact, it's recorded in Scripture. He's a man after God's own heart. I'm going to raise you up, and you're going to be powerful, and you're going to be incredible. And David, one day as the king's supposed to be out of war, he looks down, and he sees Bathsheba on the rooftop, and he goes, hmm, my wife's okay, but man, she's pretty good looking. He sends for her. They have a relationship. A child comes from that. He finds out, sends word, hey, her husband's serving in the army. Let's just pull back a little bit. Let it look like he died at war. We'll celebrate him as a hero, and it's really murder. And God says to David, David, I love you, but the sword will never leave your house now. And David's kids start all the infighting, and his entire life was filled with turmoil and anguish. Even though he celebrated, he experienced what it was to allow unrestrained immaturity to destroy him. Saul never really saw the fulfillment of his kingship because he had that same level of immaturity. We see it in our leaders all around us. Presidents take their leadership role. Clinton never accomplished what he could have accomplished. He just couldn't control his own immaturity. Then you start thinking down, there's different lists of names you can put into play. Lance Armstrong, Tiger Woods, Justin Bieber. Oh, did I actually say that? Some of the Bibles. These are people and individuals who have potential, they're gifted, they have capacity to lead out. So the question is, if we are set up to succeed and I'm loved and I'm accepted and I'm forgiven and I'm equipped, am I making choices that are consistent with my opportunities or am I making choices that impede my true potential? That's only a question you can answer. I can't answer for you. But I know that when we look at Samson, he reminds me that if I don't get a hold of my own immaturity, that unrestrained immaturity, it's going to affect others. It's going to constantly flirt with danger, and my life will end with diminished capacity, and I will never realize what God truly raised me up for. And my prayer for you, my prayer for me, don't give the enemy that kind of freedom. Let's be who God called us to be. Let's embrace his gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. And for some of you, you need to say yes to Jesus. Make him Lord and leader over your life. And for the rest of us, let's show the world what it is to live as heroes, not the superheroes with capes and leaping off tall buildings, heroes who love in spite of challenge, 
who give and are generous to a fault, who serve and expect fully that God will reward those that are faithful to him, and who believe that God will accomplish his purposes, and all I have to do is remain faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, that is the prayer we pray, that we would look at our lives and understand that the opportunity is there for all of us. I pray for those that have never said yes to you, never invited you to be Lord, leader over their life, to be Savior. That's a decision that can be made today. That just absolutely increases capacity. But then I pray for all of us, particularly through the indicators of Samson's life, that if we would see that immaturity that so often trips us up, holds us back, and, and just sort of disqualifies us, from achieving our true potential. I pray that that would never be true for anyone listening to my voice today. That on this day, we would learn from one man's life and the epitaph of our life is going to be, I will love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.